0: This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 and 100.5 plus 96.9 and 14.10 in the North Country. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the newspaper. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm
1: good. How are you?
0: It's St. Patrick's Day.
1: I'm I'm aware of that. It's coming. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, anyway, so happy St. Patrick's Day, uh, everybody. Uh, Sarah Foss uh, covers a variety of topics in her news column for the Daily Gazette. Uh, Let me ask you about... The uh, Schenectady election. One of our regular guests has been uh, Gary McCarthy, the mayor of Schenectady, and we'll probably be on hiatus uh, with uh, Mayor McCarthy because of the campaign, mm-hmm, although sure. he's uh, not officially declared his candidacy for office. But a woman named Tierce McCammon uh, has uh, declared her candidacy. Um, what do you think?
1: Um, yeah, she's declared her candidacy. Uh, it injects a little excitement into the race because Gary's probably not going to face a Republican challenger or, you know, a challenger from, um, I guess, when Roger Hull ran against him, he was, he was representing the, like the Alliance Party, right, but, right. you know, basically a Republican challenger. So if he's going to face a real challenge, it will come during the primary and one thing about Therese, when she declared, she did emphasize uh, some of the issues that I think any anyone who wants to take a good run at Geary would, would talk about, sort of infrastructure in the city and the neighborhoods not being maintained as well as people would like, um, some of those kind of bread and butter issues. But I don't get the sense that she's that widely Known in the city, she does have the backing of the Working Families Party, which will help her, but it's going to be an uphill battle. I think Gary is pretty formidable at this point, um, unless, you know... a. Uh, kind of bigger name within the city kind of runs hmm. against him.
0: Now, with your in your column, you reached out, I believe, to Vince Riggi. Uh, he's a well-known uh, city councilman who is an independent. He runs as an independent. He runs as
1: an independent. And,
0: you know, do you think, but he told you what?
1: He's not going to run, which I think disappointed a lot of people. I think he's, he's probably one of the people who would have, maybe the person who would have had the best shot at, um, At beating Gary, but I think the fact that he decided to sit this one out, you know, it tells you something. I mean, he kind of weighed the odds and thought, you know, maybe I could do it, but is it really in my favor? And part of his issue is his council seat is up. The same year as this, so he's running for his council seat again. So I if he see. if he ran for mayor and lost, he'd be out of Schenectady City politics. And I mm-hmm. think he thought that risk was too great, and he wanted to stay involved.
0: And not to belabor this, but how about the name you've already mentioned, the previous uh, kind of independent mayoral candidate, Roger Hall, former college? Yeah, Roger
1: is mm-hmm. not gonna is not gonna run again. He's he's done it twice, and I think he's had his fill of of all that. (laughs) Okay.
0: I don't know. No, I was going to say a quote, but let's leave it out of there. Um, However, Mayor McCarthy just uh, suffered, it seems to me, a a rare setback on the city council. Uh, They overrode uh, a veto of his.
1: Yes. In the judgeship fight. And that is kind of an interesting, it's interesting on a couple different levels. Uh, One is the more I look into it, I think Gary might have a point. Um, courts, the city court, it it has seen a lot less activity in terms of new filings.
0: Maybe we should state what Gary McCarthy proposed was- uh, Eliminating,
1: yes, eliminating the fourth judgeship position, uh, which has been controversial. The council wants to keep that fourth judgeship, uh, and they- You know, when Gary proposed it, I mean, basically they had a resolution saying we want to keep the judgeship, and Gary vetoed that, and then they overrode his veto. Um, Politically, what makes it sort of interesting is you're seeing a real rift in that Democratic bloc that always kind Mm -hmm. of sides with Gary over this judgeship. To me, it's fascinating because I wouldn't have picked this as the issue that would prompt a battle between um, those two groups of uh, Democrats.
0: And Mayor McCarthy says the uh, fourth judgeship is expensive and the crime rate's down.
1: He says it's not needed. It costs too much money That to retrofit and find a space for the judge and to, I mean, they don't pay the salary, but yes, he says that's about $3 million, you know, right or wrong, the city does have to, you know, fund that space and um, crime is down and When you look at the numbers, you'll see that he's not wrong. There's a lot less filings and um, just an overall decline across the board in criminal filings, civil filings, small claims court filings uh, from year to year for the past nine years from what I saw.
0: Sarah Foss is with us, news columnist for the Daily Gazette. Let's talk about uh, state issues for a while. Uh, legislative slowdown. The Democratic Party leads the state legislature. The governor, Andrew Cuomo, is a Democrat, but they've kind of slowed down getting things done, if you will. They uh, got a few things done right out of the box in the new year. But one program that seems to be uh, bogged down is uh, to uh, legalize uh, recreational marijuana. You uh, wrote in, the, in your column, which is a little bit of time ago, that maybe the slowdown's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's bad that we have to cram in all these big ticket items and get them all passed. And then, you know, by the time the budget is done, if it happens in June, a few months down the road, I mean, is that so awful? Does it give us more time to hash out some of the policy differences that are that are holding up that legislation right now?
0: Hmm. Do you think it'll happen this year?
1: Yeah, I do think it'll happen, Uh, but I would say I think my confidence in that statement has gone down just a little bit over the past couple of weeks.
0: Also, uh, opioid tax. Governor Cuomo has revised his proposal to tax pharmaceutical companies that sell opioid painkillers. That would let the drug companies pass the cost onto New York consumers specifically. Right? <laughs> is, is this a bad idea?
1: I mean, I think it is. Um, I know it's easy to beat up on the uh, on opioids, and there's this notion that if you're using them, maybe you have a problem. You shouldn't be using them, but there is a legitimate use for opioids, and this would give the companies basically, you know, permission to pass those extra costs onto their patients by and large i think people who are taking opioids cuz they're dealing with pain either short term or or long term and i mean it's a little controversial whether it's good to take opioids long term for chronic pain but i mean regardless these are people who are getting them through doctors presumably because they have some sort of medical need and it's basically saying you can pass that extra cost off to patients who i feel like are already paying a lot of money for for medicine as it is, mm. you know.
0: Let me ask you a question. But actually, came up with your counterpart at the Times Union, Chris Churchill, about a walkable city. The city of Schenectady, you write, is considering a study of how to improve walking uh, for pedestrians in Hamilton Hill and Mont Pleasant. I believe you say. A study, many problems should be obvious.
1: <laughs> it's true, and I don't, I don't dispute the idea that you know maybe things can come out of a study. It might give you a framework for getting funding from other sources. But yes, I mean, I think if you walk around Schenectady it's obvious what you need to do to make the city more walkable. I mean, you can't walk more than a block. The same is true in Albany a block, block and a half, I think without hitting a patch of sidewalk where you have to climb over a little hill cause nobody's shoveled the curb. And then it's completely unplowed down the stretch of sidewalk until you hit, you know, a homeowner who had the, you know, kindness to go out and shovel their walk. So pedestrians could walk on it. And then, you know, by, you know, it also gets into a bikeable city. I mean, we think of the roads as just for cars, but that's not really the case. I mean, I know when I bike around cities, one of the big hazards is potholes. You do have to keep an eye out so you don't hit a pothole with your wheel and kind of go flipping over the handlebars. So, you know, I mean, you look around, you see a lot of rough patches on city streets, lots of potholes. I mean, that doesn't make it easy to get around on a bicycle. It makes it risky. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, yes, all these things are pretty obvious. Speeding is a big issue. A lot of people walk. Should cars be driving so fast? Should we do more to calm the traffic? I mean, I don't think we need consultants to tell us that this needs Mm -hmm. to be done. You could probably just spend a few time walking, a little bit of time walking around these neighborhoods.
0: In fact, you brought up a point I didn't realize. You said that some municipalities themselves clear the sidewalks. I mean, in the cities, in the general issue is that it's the Homeowners are the landlords that are supposed to, yeah. But but where?
1: Was uh, a- Burlington was one place I think, um, and they all have slightly different policies, so it's not quite so simple as they all just clear the sidewalks. I thought I think it was Rochester had an interesting policy where they provide um, sidewalk clearing to uh, homeowners' sidewalks if. The snow, I believe, is four inches or more. So, there's an idea that if you have a more significant storm, the city will send out their sidewalk plows to make sure it all gets uh, cleared. Um, So, I guess I feel like I've lived here long enough and I've seen what it looks like when we try to enforce this notion that the homeowner should do it. You know, there's too much, too many abandoned properties that just Mm -hmm. don't get addressed. I mean, every time I walk around, you know, near where I live, this is supposed to be a walkable neighborhood, accessible to everything. And it's like, you know, I'm pushing my baby in a stroller and hitting patches of snow all over the sidewalk. I just feel like it doesn't work, this idea that or their property owners really will clear the sidewalks and they'll all be clear.
0: I'm talking about city issues, but you went out into the country, not too far into the country, but you went out into the country to uh, take a look at broadband uh, internet access for rural areas, and the state uh, is trying to get communications companies to provide such internet service in rural areas. Is it working?
1: It's worked some. I mean, the state will say, and they're not wrong, that they have um, committed $500 million to this for, you know, telecommunication companies to take and put down broadband to rural areas. But some areas... It's not just that they're waiting for it. You know, some places are waiting for it; they just haven't gotten it yet. But it's coming. Some places just have been left out of the in the cold. And the air is Dwayne'sburg, which I think you know to some extent it was bad luck. They're covered by um, charter, and that company just did not apply for state funding to bring broadband to those homes. Uh, I think at the beginning it was probably I mean you know, about five hundred homes that did not have that. Service and now the state money has been completely uh, dispersed, and you know none of it has. It will go into Duanesburg. Actually, that's not quite true. Verizon's bringing some uh, broadband to some homes in a section of town, but you still have a fair number of homes that are without rural broadband. You know, without broadband. So, have we done enough to connect homes? Were we too trusting that telecommunication companies would just? do this, if the state made the money available, um, you know, I, this is something people people need. And one thing about Duanesburg is, you know, as I say, it's a rural place. But I think this is not like an isolated community on top of a mountain. It's, you right. know, in some ways, it's a bedroom community with people who live and work in Schenectady and in Albany.
0: Mm. And some might say, uh, that I, well, I mean, broadband, it's, no, something I didn't have when I was growing up, right. but now <laughs> I, I think maybe I'm wrong about this. But you talk to a, a woman uh, who has children in, in mm-hmm. school, and it's a real detriment to to them. Yeah,
1: I mean, her children are now out of out of school and in college. But yes, it, when they were in school, and I talked to another parent after that piece ran, who his children are in now in school now, and it's like their homework assignments, things to do with in school. Those things are online. I mean, it's also like an economic development thing. I mean, if you're choosing to live outside of like a a city, an urban area and looking around, I mean, you might really think you want to have broadband. You want to have the option to work from home. If you don't have broadband, that's very hard to do. It's not like you can reliably work from home. I mean, are you going to take a chance and build in a place where they they don't have it or are you going to go to a community where you're assured that you can have it? So it begins to really hurt those communities which can't guarantee their residents have what's you know basically becoming a has become a necessity for people who live and work in America.
0: Sarah Foss with us, news columnist for the Daily Gazette. You did a column about Willie Dane, Willie Dean. He was a standout basketball player for Schenectady High School in 1998. But what's he doing now?
1: Uh, Willie just wrapped up a... A pretty lengthy pro career playing um, overseas, internationally, at least eleven different company countries: uh, Bulgaria, Russia, France, Italy, to name a few. And he's back in the area, living with his family, he has two daughters, and he just wrote a children's book called Love that he is reading and talking about at local schools that invite him in uh, to do that. You know, maybe nonprofit groups. Um, that work with kids, so so he's sort of retooling. I think he'll have more more things that he gets up to. He's finishing a master's degree, but um, and he has a signing at the Open Door Bookstore in Schenectady at the end of March. But mm-hmm. um, basically, you know, play, played basketball for a long time and is now. Kind of figuring out his yeah, next step, yeah.
0: Life after basketball. Life
1: after basketball. And, you know, he said it's not always easy for people to make that transition when your life for so long has been devoted to a sport and now you're you're not playing anymore.
0: And this book grew out of stories he told his own daughter.
1: Yes, he tells his daughter's uh, bedtime stories. And one night she asked him to repeat a story, and that was when he decided he really had to start writing these stories down. So that's where it began with the stories he tells to his, his children.
0: Let's go to national politics. Just did a column about Kirsten Gillibrand, and I must say I've heard other people say this her campaign for president's not doing too well,
1: yeah, I don't know what I expected from it, but I'm, you know, I don't think I thought she'd ever really become the front runner, but I think I thought she would do a little better than she's been doing. She's sort of sunk to the bottom of polls, really down there with some little known candidates, and I think she was sort of regarded as someone who might be in that kind of upper tier of candidates. And for whatever reason, I mean, I have some theories, but she's not caught on with voters and people can say like, well, early polls don't matter much, but she's been out there here and there uh, trying to connect with voters in like Iowa and New Hampshire. And, you know, it's clear that she's seeing uh, no movement so far. Um, She's not up there with, you know, Kamala Harris or, Mm. You know I, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, it's not like Elizabeth Warren's doing great. I think her numbers of people who vote for her are below ten percent. But I mean, that's certainly a lot better than Gillibrand, who's really below one percent at this point. It's like almost nobody will is picking her. Mm. I mean, nobody.
0: And um, two points maybe. The, the one point that's made is that no, like politicians in uh, in New York have endorsed her. Or right. Said, I'm, she I'm has no Gillibrand.
1: endorsements from her home state. That's very, I mean, that's unusual. I mean, Cory Booker, who I don't think anyone really regards as a frontrunner at this point, he has a lot of support from New Jersey, the state he uh, represents in the Senate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, the article I read made it clear that Gillibrand is trying to get New York politicians to endorse her, and they are just not... Doing it, yet. I mean, to me, it's not surprising. They want to see how this thing shakes out, but it is unusual when you look at other candidates and see the you know most they all have endorsements.
0: Mm. <laughs> well, when she first announced, we had Mayor Madden on from mm-hmm. Troy, and yeah, he sounded close to announce uh, to endorsing her, but of course, she's made Troy her campaign headquarters, right?
1: Of course, it's he's no. going to say uh, favorable but, things. I mean, if she were to move up in the polls, if she were to suddenly be up there with. Sanders and Biden who poll very well, I think you'd see more uh, willingness to kind of say positive things about her to even endorse her. And I mean, the fact that she's seeing no movement, I don't think anyone really feels like sticking their neck out to do that.
0: And then her, her signature issue has been the Me Too movement, and now there's a sexual harassment complaint stemming from her office.
1: Right. There was uh, – in a former aide uh, has alleged that they did not handle her personal sexual harassment complaint, that she was harassed by someone in that office uh, Well, this is an issue that has kind of hurt, not hurt, but we've heard similar complaints maybe about the Sanders campaign and the Mm -hmm. Hillary campaign. I mean, I think in general, these people who go out and really talk tough on me too, they have a hard time dealing with these issues in their own offices. But Gillibrand, I think more than anybody, is identified with... Speaking out on the issue and it just makes her look, you know, regardless of how the facts shake out. I think anyone seeing those that story would just be like this makes her look like a huge hypocrite. So Mm -hmm. that's I mean, that's not good.
0: Here's uh, my last question. Uh, What's the Wolfpack Wealth Group, and what do they do?
1: They are a group. They do financial advising. They help people repair their personal credit, and they help small entrepreneurs um, build their businesses. What makes them a little unique is that it's three African-American men who run this, and they sort of have a focus on working with what they might say, you know, local marginalized communities that maybe don't all- the traditional banking system mm. so you see them working with more i think um maybe black and hispanic small business owners who need some assistance figuring out how to get their business to take off
0: and they're local here they're
1: local they're in oh, schenectady man. they work right downtown um and they're all schenectady guys
0: you've been listening to magic 590s talk of the town with our guest sarah foss news columnist for the daily gazette newspaper Today's program will be available online at albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.